0: Um, guys, we have a, a chance next week to support these guys uh, financially, um, and we're going to talk about that a bit later. But we really want to get um, behind our amazing partners and all that they're doing. Um, but I'm just going to, for the next uh, little while, just talk a little bit about justice and Christmas and how the two link together. I don't know, hands up, who is? I asked this question last week. Who else is feeling Christmassy? Anyone feeling Christmassy? Okay. I think that's about right. That's like 50% of people in the room. I don't know if you're feeling Christmassy at home, um, but it is. we are in December, and guys, we've got to ramp it up. This is you know, the time of year. We've got to get serious about this. We've got to think, um, what, what is Christmas going to look like? Maybe you're a planner. Maybe you love thinking about all this stuff. Um, I think, for me, I, I'm less so because sometimes I feel like, with Christmas, we can put a lot of pressure on it to be the perfect day right i don't know what when you think about your perfect christmas what does it look like maybe um the food has to be Just so, maybe you've got a family recipe passed down, and maybe there's just a way you like it done, and it it has to be just like that. Maybe, um, you know, your your family, my my parents are watching, so obviously this would never happen in the cookhouse, so trust me. But maybe your family are the type that say, you know, like, guys, can we not argue just for one day? Just for Christmas Day, you know, for some reason we decide on Christmas Day, we can argue all we want the rest of the year, but for Christmas Day, it's got to be. This perfect day. It's got to be just so. And, you know, maybe you, I don't know if you watch adverts or things like that. All the adverts telling us exactly what our perfect, glossy, glitzy Christmas should be like. You know, probably some sparkly um, party platter food. Maybe um, a man with a northern accent doing a spoken word about what Christmas really means. All that sort of thing. We want Christmas to just be the perfect kind of just... Right. And we do that with a, with a Christmas nativity story. We kind of put a bit of a, a gloss or a gleam. We kind of, we try and make it kind of sweet and palatable and nice on the outside. We talk about silent night as if Jesus' first night here as a baby really would be Silent Olive as a midwife. What are the chances of Jesus not crying during the night? pretty low, pretty low. It probably wasn't a silent night, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Sounds angelic when your six-year-olds are singing it. Actually, that's a feeding trough. That is disgusting. That's where the animals would have fed or be watered. This isn't a glossy, glitzy Christmas that we think it is. And actually, I was wondering, it got me thinking last year. Last year, Christmas was not the perfect you know everything we would have hoped it would be Christmas and maybe it won't be again this year but actually it's got me thinking do we really want that glossy shiny glitzy Christmas is that really what we're after is that really what makes it special for us because actually last year I was thinking about it in in the midst of a really painful dark uncertain time I know for me, what didn't bring me comfort was the idea that Christmas was just going to be this perfect day where everything was happy and shiny. Actually, I need something that's more real. I need something that speaks to pain and suffering, that speaks into uncertainty. I want a Christmas that's a little less kind of glossy and a a bit more gritty, a bit more real, right? And actually, that's what... The Christmas story tells us that this isn't some perfectly shiny, happy Christmas story. If you kind of strip it back in there, there is pain and injustice and suffering. Let's think about it, right? It is a a teenage pregnancy, a young girl born in a town kind of in the middle of nowhere, wrong side of the tracks, probably born into poverty, falls pregnant as a teenager She's then uh, told um, by her, the, the oppressive regime that she lives under that just before she's about to give birth, she has to travel 150 kilometers to another kind of nowhere town, heavily pregnant. And when they get there, there's no room for them to give birth in a, in a safe, properly, orderly kind of way. And instead, it's in some um, random person's house, and the baby is laid in this feeding trough, um, disgusting place. And the first people to come and visit the baby Jesus aren't royalty or aren't some, you know, aren't the the who's who of that world. It's the outsiders, it's the outcasts, it's the shepherds who didn't fit into the rest of mainstream society. It's some strange religious nomads, these kind of wandering astrologers. And they're the first to meet Jesus. You go a couple of years on, and now Jesus, um, uh, in the, the world he was living, there is a genocide of all infants ordered by the ruler. And so suddenly, as pe- infants are being killed around in Jesus' family, flee to Egypt as refugees. This is the real Christmas story. A little less glossy, a little less glamorous, maybe a little less easy to sing songs about. It's of oppression. It's of poverty. It's um, of being a social outcast. It's of genocide. It's of refugees. This is the real story. And I know that sounds a little depressing when we threw it back like that and probably not any more in the crystal's mood than you were before. But I honestly think that this is the message that we need to hear. And I believe that this is the message that our friends need to hear. And I believe this is the message that has an impact on our world today. It's not one of gloss and glitz and glamour, it's a gritty story that speaks about how do we find hope in darkness? How do we find justice in a world of injustice? And so what I wanna do today is I wanna look at this Christmas story again and ask what can it teach us about justice today here in Bristol? What can it teach us for our real lives and our real situations here today? And so um, there's a few different biographies, four biographies in the Bible of Jesus' life. We're going to look at one of them in John. Um, and John gives us a kind of a story of, of the Nativity. Um, we're going to read a, a big chunk of the Bible here, so um, bear with me. It says this in John 1, 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's it. That is the Christmas story according to John. One sentence, your one sentence nativity. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Go and do a primary school nativity off the back of that. You don't have very much to run with here, right? This is, all, this is kind of what John gives the nativity. All the um, Matthew and Luke, they go into really, really deep detail in the nativity story. They talk about the characters and the narrative and, and all this stuff and they give chapters and chapters to it. John and the other hand just gives us one sentence but I kind of love that because whilst the other ones they zoom in on the details John wants to zoom out and give us a bigger picture of where this Christmas story the nativity sits he says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, when you see the word, that is another uh, a phrase that John uses um, that we can basically kind of paraphrase as Jesus. Jesus, who is there since the beginning of time. Jesus, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And this phrase is important because when John uses this to tell us the Christmas story, he's setting that in a context that's really helpful for us. This is part of a kind of wider poem um, that John tells at the beginning uh, of his gospel. And he takes us right the way back to the very beginning of time, um, to the creation of the universe. And we see that same phrase again in just a little earlier, a few verses before. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when John tells his nativity story, when John tells us the story at Christmas, he says very clearly that I want to put this as part of a wider context. I want to tell you um, how Jesus came down to earth, but I want to set it in the context of all of time and all of eternity. And I think that is a helpful lesson to us to learn. I think there's a few things that we can pull out of this. Because actually, what we see is that it isn't just a standalone event. It's not just a one-time kind of story um, that stands on its own. The, nati- the story of, of Christmas, of Jesus coming to earth, is part of a bigger story. So I want to give you a history of justice. Okay? In the beginning, God creates the universe, which we see here. In the beginning, he creates the world as well. And humans, um, we, we mess it up. We collude with powers of evil. In our selfishness, in our greediness, we bring injustice, we bring Painly being suffering. And since that moment, God has been working tirelessly to bring justice. The story of the Bible from beginning right the way through to the end of time is of a God that is working to restore things that are broken, to redeem things that are lost, to, to bring justice where there isn't. And we see that right the way through the Bible. And so when John tells us the Christmas story in, in the kind of way that he does, and he sets it in this wider narrative, what we can see is that the Nativity story is kind of a definitive chapter in this story that's been going on throughout history of God bringing justice here on earth. And that's really helpful for us because actually it can teach us a thing or two about how we should think about justice for ourselves. Now, I'm going to confess to you guys, this is, um, honestly, this is how I feel sometimes. I'm not happy about it. It's not, it's not a good character trait. But sometimes when I, uh, when I see injustice, when I see things that, that, that I don't like, that I think are wrong, I kind of puff my chest up a little bit put my superhero cape on and I think I am the superhero in this story. Sam has been called here for this moment to fix this injustice. There is something wrong and I... The white male saviour must come and fix the world's problems because, and I, I don't know, anyone else is, I feel like I put a lot of, I kind of think, I am the main character here. I, When I see injustice, it's up to me to fix it right in this moment. I've got to do it. I've got to make the difference. It's all down to me. Now, maybe um, you're not as kind of narcissistic. Maybe you have a healthier view of your own mortality. But um, I think for... As a kind of generation as a whole, we have this view of of justice that we we make ourselves the main character in the story. We say, we have to do it right now. And so it becomes something, justice, that's very immediate for us if we don't solve this problem right now. It's got to be in this moment. It's got to be right now, right here. We have to fix this once and for all. And it becomes quite intense. We put a little weight on ourselves to say, I've got to do it. I've got to make a difference. It's up to me. And there's some good stuff to that. I think there's some healthy stuff around, around seeing change come now and, and wanting to go after things and make a difference. But we have to remember, we're not the superhero. We're not the main character in this story. So the first thing we can learn when John sets his, his, his story of nativity within this wider picture is that it's God's story, and we just get to join in. When it comes to justice, we're just joining with what God has always been doing. He's a good, loving, kind God. He has always been working to restore the lost. He's always been working to feed the hungry, to, to end structural inequality, to bring people who are broken back whole, to, to work and to save um, those from poverty. He's always been working to redeem, and we just get to join in. And actually, that should take a bit of the weight off you guys. I want to encourage you. I know sometimes we talk about social justice. It can be a bit of like a hammer talk, like you've got to do more. Actually, I want to say to you guys, take heart. It's good. I know things are tough. I know things are really hard. I know there's injustice and poverty everywhere. But we just have to play our part. We just have to join in with what God has always been doing. I love a quote from um, Martin Luther King Jr. He says this, that we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It's a long, justice is a long, slow process. It can often be painfully slow, but the arc of the universe, when we believe in a God who is working on our behalf to bring justice, the arc of the universe bends towards justice. And so our role is not to become disheartened when things don't change immediately. It's not to burn out because we're making it so intense that we have to fix it all ourselves. Our job is to join in with what God's always been doing play our part as we see the universe bend towards justice so what does that look like what does it look like for us to join in with what God's been doing what does it look like for us to join in and bring justice here in Bristol well I want to go back to our one line nativity um, and it says this the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us In order to understand exactly um, what this has to say to justice, I think you need to understand a little bit about the audiences that John was writing to. So he's writing to a Jewish audience, and at the same time, he's also writing to a Greek audience. And both of these audiences, the amazing thing about John, he is an absolute genius, is they had these different understandings of the phrase, the word. So when a Jewish person heard the word, they immediately thought of God. In their mind, it's immediately, I'm thinking about the omnipotent, the all-powerful, the, uh, the holy, the above-it-all God. And so God can never come down into flesh, into human body, because he's so powerful, so holy, so above all. Those two things just don't mix. Whereas the Greeks, on the other hand, they, when they hear see the phrase, the word, they're thinking Logos. Um, it's the Greek word which is which not a god. It's this kind of higher power which works to bring order out of chaos. And for them, the problem with the flesh was the flesh was like a prison. The flesh was the thing that held us back. If we could free ourselves from the flesh, then we would be able to attain to this logos, this like higher power where our intellect, where our way of thinking could bring order out of chaos. And so for both the Greeks and the Jewish people the word was a powerful thing and the idea that it would come and dwell and, and, and become human flesh is just, it's unthinkable. It's, it doesn't compute, that's not how this works. And yet when John writes that Jesus took on flesh he says something that is so powerful for how we view justice today. He says something that I, I do think when we understand this, it it changes so much about the issues that we grapple with when it comes to injustice today. Because in the Christmas story, when Jesus came and took on flesh, he said definitively, once and for all, that every single human is of infinite worth, that every single human body deserves dignity. That every single human being is loved and of worth so much dignity that the divine could come and dwell and the divine could come and inhabit the human body that is actually a really revolutionary idea you might think that humans having dignity is kind of just everyone believes that right but actually um there's a guy uh, Noah Yuval Noah Yuval Harari, I have got that right. Um, one of the leading atheists in the world at the moment, really, really intelligent guy, wrote Sapiens, which is an amazing book. And he says that human rights are a profoundly Christian idea. That actually, the idea that every human has rights n- doesn't really exist in the natural universe because if it's survival of the fittest and nothing else, then if you die, you deserve to die. And that's just the way it is. But there's something different about this idea, which he says is the Christian idea that each human being has dignity, that each human being has something that means they're worthy of, of love, honor and respect. And the problem is we run into so many issues around justice when we ignore this, when we ignore the dignity of each human. Now, I'm not saying that we're consciously making a decision to do this. I'm not saying we wake up in the morning and we say, "Today I'm going to ignore the dignity of the humans around me." No one's doing that, but we do that in so many ways. A couple of examples that come from from kind of our, our habits at Christmas time. Maybe you're hoping that Santa brings you a new iPhone this year. Well, you need to know that one in three. Uh, of the electronics are made in the Malaysian uh, tech, in, uh, tech industry, which is where kind of a lot of our electronics are made, one in three workers in that Malaysian electronics industry are working in conditions of forced labour. One in three. Maybe um, chocolate for you is the kind of the, the, si- the sight, the the smell of Christmas is is chocolate. Tis the season. Advent calendars, Quality Street, Unboxing Day, all that stuff. Unfortunately, 2.1 million children in Ghana and Ivory Coast work on, on ba- producing our chocolate. And the vast majority, again, are working in conditions of forced labor. And I'm not saying that we consciously do, that, do this. But every time we make a decision to say, my desire to eat cheap chocolate overrides how I feel about the people who have made it, we choose to strip those children working in chocolate farms of their dignity that says, you are of infinite worth and of infinite value. I love um, the work that Beloved do. One of our partners, again, that we're going to be giving to, they work um, with women in massage parlors here in Bristol. And as is as a society, we've kind of decided that when it comes to the body, that it's something that can be commodified, that um, we can buy and sell for, for sexual pleasure. And to do that, we can strip humans of their dignity. And yet, beloved, go into these massage parlors and they choose to spend time with the women. They choose to care for them, to love them. And in doing so, they say, I see you, I know you, you have infinite worth in God's eyes because you're a human and you deserve dignity. And they join in what God's doing. They join God's story. And so the first way we can see from the Christmas story, we can join with what God's always been doing is to see the human. To make sure that, that when it comes to justice, we see humans as of value and of worth. The second way that we can do is that we can join in with what God is doing in justice. We see in the Christmas story, if we go back to, um, to 1 John, is this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus didn't just come as a human uh, being. He came and he made his dwelling among us. He came and, and moved in. He came and... and, and yeah, and, and I love, it says in the message, it translates it slightly differently. It says, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, which is a wicked way of putting it. He, he came and he was born into poverty. The people surrounding him were outcasts, people born also into poverty. He chose to spend his life not with the religious elite or the rulers, but he chose to spend it with the tax collectors who everyone hated. He walked with prostitutes. He touched and healed the lepers and those who were sick that no one else would go near. His closest friends were the outcasts, the fishermen that didn't make the grade. There were um, people from all different walks of life, all with something in common that society didn't quite deem them worthy in some way. And yet Jesus came and in the Christmas story, you see, he made his dwelling with us. He moved into the neighbourhood. I don't know, this doesn't say this in the Bible. If Jesus was to come to Bristol today, my speculation is he wouldn't have been born into a Clifton townhouse on Victoria Square. Just saying, no offence to the Clifton guys, it is lovely, great coffee shops. But I just don't think that's where Jesus would have been born because Jesus moved into the neighbourhood, but not just any. He moved in to be with the poor and the vulnerable. And I think this speaks to something about the way that we do social justice today that I f- personally find really, really challenging. And I, I love um, some of the things we heard today are about um, raising awareness, about um, donating money, about supporting campaigns. You can share things on Instagram, all that sort of stuff, and that's really good. But the risk is that our social justice becomes from an arm's length, that we do it at a distance, that we stay comfortable, And we support people from an arm's length. And I just don't see that in the Christmas story. I don't see that in the king of the world being born into poverty, surrounded by misfits and outcasts. So the question is for us, if we want to join with God's story, when it comes to justice, can we make it personal? Can we say that, For us, it's not just going to be something that we do from a distance. Can we move into the neighborhood, whatever that looks like for you? I remember, um, again, talking about In Hope and the Wild Goose. Um, I remember I, when I'd help out there. Um, for a long time, I just stuck to the washing up. They serve, it's a cafe uh, that serves food to people who are in temporary accommodation or um, sleeping on the streets. And uh, it's an amazing thing to do, serve so much free food. And for a long time, I'd go along, and my safe zone was in the washing up, right? I could just stay there, and that was easy, that was fine. And that was good. I think that's an amazing way to serve people. But after a while, I felt like, actually, I need to step out here. And so um, I went, took a cup of tea, and I would go and play chess with some of these guys. And um, there's a lot of cheating going on, I'll be honest with you. I didn't win very many games. I'm not good at chess. But they shared their stories. They told me, um, yeah, where they're at, how they got there, what's going on. And for me, that was a real difference. That felt like something that Jesus would be doing sitting down, listening, talking, playing chess with people that spend the rest of the day people walking past them on the street. I don't know what it looks like for you. What does it look like to make justice personal? I love Emily sharing a story of her hub um, doing the sleep out and raising money, but doing it in a way that was We want to experience a little bit for one night of what people go through as they sleep on the street. They chose to make it personal. It might be you've got a friend suffering with mental health and you know you've been showing them love from a distance, a text once a month or so. And actually the challenge is maybe you need to move into their neighborhood of their life. Maybe you need to be more involved, be more available to them. I don't know. It's Something for you to work out, think about. What does it look like for this to become personal for you? we get to join in God's story of bringing justice when we see the human and notice their dignity and when we make it personal and invest ourselves spend time with the poor and when we do that John says it's something amazing happens that um that the result of this it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth John says that when Jesus came at Christmas time we see his glory. And it's not the glory of a man born into a, a palace. It's not the glory of a man who is born into royalty. Jesus' glory is being born into poverty, surrounded by outcasts and misfits. That is his glory. And we get to join in with that. We get to reflect some of his glory when we choose to spend time, when we choose to spend our money, when we choose to give ourselves, when we choose to, to fight for justice and join us with what God's doing, we reflect the glory of God. And people can see it, and it looks different. And so my question for you today is this, as we go into Christmas time, what do you want? Do you want the glossy, glitzy, Shiny Christmas. Do you want things to be just so? Are you looking for a glossy Christmas or do you want a Christmas that's full of glory? Where it's gritty and real and where you're spending more money on the poor than you are on bottles of wine for Christmas Day. Where you're choosing to say, I'm less worried about everything being just perfect because actually there's something real here. When you invite your friends to Metro Carols, you know, we're not inviting them to just a glossy, glitzy kind of concert. That's not the deal. We're inviting our friends to experience the glory of Jesus, the one who so loved the poor that he came to give his life for them. That, I believe, is the message we need this Christmas, of hope and of justice in the grit and the dirt of life. And so just quickly to finish, here's three things you can do that I think um, might help us see this come to work in our life. The first one, if you want to join in God's story, I really recommend um, next uh, week, uh, Metro Carols, we have our big uh, Metro Carols collection where we just take people, we give money basically to our partners. And I've got to tell you guys, Metro really Give money. We're so good at this. It's like I, I'm very proud of Metro for many, many reasons. But honestly, every time we do a Christmas collection, I'm like, flipping that, guys. It's just, it's just mad. Like we gave, I think we gave well over two grand last year. Matt, um, how much was it? I can't remember. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I remember we, yeah, we basically we give a Christmas of a church of like 10 times our size, which I love, because actually we get to join in. God has been working through the partners that we have in our, um, that we work with, and they have been bringing God's story of justice to life here in Bristol, and we get to join in by supporting them financially. So come ready to give next week um, as we join in God's story. The second thing you do is if you want to work on seeing the human, you want to join God in seeing the dignity of each human, I'd really recommend you to commit to a slave-free Christmas. Can you make a decision now that actually every present you buy, you're going to make sure it's not been made cheap somewhere where there's probably um, or possibly forced labor but actually you're choosing to buy ethically. Maybe um, you commit to saying, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to check the bottle of wine that I buy. Just going to make sure, actually, that this is fair trade. Just going to make sure the chocolate that we buy, that that's good quality, that that's ethically produced. Why don't you commit this year to a slave-free Christmas and make sure that in everything we do, we're valuing the dignity of every human, even if they're the other side of the world. And finally, make it personal and this is one that I'd recommend to do with your hub and into the new year. Maybe ask the question together, what would it look like for us to embody justice here in the area that we're in? Maybe Bristol as a whole, or maybe for my hub, what does it look like to, for us to see justice here in, Be- in Bedminster? What does it look like for us to, to show God's love here in Frenchay, in Filton? Wherever you are, I'd really recommend, just think about this for yourself and maybe chat about it as a hub. What does it look like for us to make it personal? As we do that, we, we reflect something of God's glory. So here it is, the big idea to finish up, and then we're going to pray. The story of Christmas is about justice. We can learn, it, learn from it by joining God's story, seeing the human, and making justice personal. When we do this, we see the glory of Jesus. So we're going to um, go back in time of worship, but first want to pray for you, so if the band comes up, and should we stand together if you're able? And as the band comes up, what I'd love to do really is just pray for you guys, and, and pray for all of us as a community, because actually um, it's really, it's really easy when we talk about stuff like justice and um, all this stuff, for it to be something where we just feel like we need to do more and more and more and that it feels oh gosh another thing I've got to do but that's not what it is it's not a tick list of things that we need to get right this is a response to a God who so loves us and so loves the poor and so I'm just going to pray for us that actually this would not just be a kind of a lesson that we need to think oh right I've got to do more but actually our hearts will be moved and so yeah Holy Spirit we just ask, would you come now and if this is new to you if this is um, foreign to you then don't worry just just kind of enjoy a moment of silence but God we just pray that for every person here you would just be breaking their hearts now for the things that break yours you'd be showing us what it means to, to really love the poor especially in our city yeah Holy Spirit would you come I want to pray especially um pray especially for guys who you feel like you've become a bit battle hardened you feel like there's just so much going on in the world it's a lot and I don't know how and your heart kind of feels hardened because actually there's a lot of bad news there's a lot of tough stuff but I believe God wants us to live with soft hearts God wants us to live being heartbroken by things that are that are painful the things we see around us in the world and so God I just pray for everyone here who knows and everyone watching online who knows that their hearts have become a bit hard lately God I pray that you would just be softening our hearts again would you break our hearts for the things that break yours for the causes that break yours for the people come and fill us now with your love and your power Amen